Welcome to Word Journeys, a podcast about etymology and the surprising stories behind the origins of English words. This is Dallas, coming to you from Philadelphia. The overarching theme for this episode is a classic spelling bee stumper, onomatopoeia. From the Greek roots onoma, meaning name, and poia, meaning make. It refers to the process of coining a word by imitating its sound. English words formed by onomatopoeia include buzz and hiss. Oftentimes, words formed through onomatopoeia come from sounds in the natural world, and a large subset of these is animal noises. One of the neat things about these words is that they are very similar language to language, and they differ only in the ways each language renders the word based on its own phonetic system. For instance, one of the ways to render a dog's bark in English is bow-wow. In Cantonese, this same sound is rendered as wow-wow, and in Greek it's gav-gav. It's often difficult to come up with an exact origin for these types of imitative words, but in today's episode, we'll explore how two onomatopoeias from Latin denoting bird calls have given us some interesting English derivatives. We'll get into some exotic verbs, pass through Venice once more, and we'll even find out how someone got kicked out of Andrew Jackson's funeral. So stay with us. Part 1. The Jay There was a noisy bird in the crow family, which in post-classical Latin was called Gaius. And if you want to hear what this bird sounds like, you can find a link on our website at www.wordjourneyspodcast.com. Its name, Gaius, was an imitation of its call, Gai or Kai. But it was also probably influenced by the popular ancient Roman name Gaius. Gaius was a prynomen, or a personal name. You probably know the most famous Gaius. That would be Gaius Julius Caesar. Gaius being his first name, and Julius and Caesar being family names. There are a number of instances of a bird deriving its name from a personal name. For instance, the Martin derives its name from St. Martin, and the Robin got its name from a diminutive form of Robert, and replaced the earlier name for the bird, which was the Ruddock. But in our example, it was some combination of imitation and the Roman name that created the specific bird name Gaius. Over time, Gaius became the old French Gé, which came into English in the 14th century as jay. The jay is a class of bird similar to the magpie, and this name can be found in the name of the blue jay, or the mocking jay from the Hunger Games series. And from the name of this bird, we get some interesting English derivatives. First, I'll go through two etymologies through French. In the mid-17th century, there were a couple of different French words, which combined to form a new verb. One of these words was cajolet, meaning to chatter like a jay, ultimately from the French jay, meaning jay. Another word was geolet, which meant to entice into a cage, ultimately from the Latin word cawea, meaning a cage or a coop. Cajolet and geolet got mixed up together. Both involved birds, and it was likely that cajolet, meaning chattering, kept its form but took on the meaning of to entice into a cage, and eventually it came into English as the verb cajole, which means to persuade someone to do something, 
by enticement or flattery. Here's the second one. In 16th century Venice, anyone who wanted to keep up with the local news could purchase a paper for a small copper coin. The coin was called a gazetta, and soon these newspapers were known as gazettes. The famous London Gazette began in 1665, but was originally known as the Oxford Gazette, because during the Great Plague of London, Charles II and his court took refuge in Oxford and wouldn't touch any publication printed in London, fearing the spread of disease. So they printed the news, the Gazette, in Oxford. The word Gazetta was the name of the coin, but it could also be a diminutive of Gaza, the Venetian word for magpie. Gaza was derived from the French J, meaning J. Scholars aren't sure whether the coin was of an entirely different derivation, maybe even from the Greek kalkos, meaning bronze, or if the Gazette took its name implying chatter or gossip. It possibly carries both associations. We'll finish up this section with two derivations of J through English. As we'll also encounter later, unintelligent people were often negatively compared to birds. Think bird-brained. Around the late 19th century, the word J came to figuratively refer to a fool or a simpleton, or a person who chattered too much. This then took on the meaning of a rural person, a hick or a yokel. It could also be applied to a rural place. For instance, a J town was a worthless place. By 1917, after the introduction of the automobile, a new term had arisen for someone carelessly crossing the street. The term was jaywalking, walking around like a jay, a fool. This is likely the true origin of the phrase, and there's no evidence for the common explanation that a jaywalker traces out the shape of a jay while crossing the street illegally. Incidents involving drivers and pedestrians were all too common in the early 20th century, and groups representing pedestrians clashed with those representing automobiles. Despite subtle linguistic attempts to pin the blame for accidents on the car operators, who were dubbed J-drivers, the automotive interests won out. And today, J-walkers are still the guilty party, at least in terms of language. The J lent its name to another creature, although this next term is now obsolete. The word is Poppinjay, and you've maybe heard it used today to mean a vain, conceited person. Poppinjay came into English in the 14th century, and was an older word for parrot. It came from the French papagai, from the Spanish papagayo, from Arabic vabaga, from Persian babga, referring to the colorful bird and named in imitation of it. Poppinjay was also influenced by the already existing word jay. No one is quite sure why it got the name parrot, though it does seem clear that it's another example of a bird being called after a personal name. Parrot is likely from Perrault, a diminutive of the personal name Pierre. Some also contend that parrot is from a shortened form of perroquet, from which we get the English word parakeet, a type of parrot. Parakeet is from the French perroquet, which comes from the Italian perroquetto, meaning little priest, which ultimately comes from the church Latin word parochus, meaning parish, which also gives us the English words parish and parochial. 
Around the 16th century, the term parrot began to be more popular than popinjay. The first mention of parrot in English came in a 1521 satire against Cardinal Wolseley and the clergy, titled Speak Parrot, written by English poet John Skelton, which may have popularized the term parrot. It was playwright Ben Jonson who was first recorded to have associated parrots with another name, Paul or Polly, in his Venetian comedy Volpone. But Polly wasn't hungry for crackers until the early 19th century, since the word cracker, referring to a thin biscuit, isn't attested in English until 1739. In Skelton's 1521 poem, it's an almond that the parrot wants. Finally, I'll close this section with two famous parrots from history. Andrew Jackson owned an African gray parrot named Paul, who outlived him. At Jackson's funeral, Paul swore and cursed so much that he had to be removed from the funeral, and according to a reverend at the time, people were, quote, horrified and awed at the bird's lack of reverence. Then, there was the famous parrot encountered by naturalist Alexander von Humboldt in modern-day Venezuela in 1800. According to the story, von Humboldt stayed with an indigenous tribe at the village of Maipures, and there were a number of parrots in the village but one spoke a different language than the rest. It spoke the language of the Aturis, a tribe which had recently been wiped out through warfare. This parrot was the last living speaker of their language, and von Humboldt recorded 40 words of the language in his notebooks. Next up, a different bird call and a more interesting looking bird. Stay with us. Part 2. The Hoopoo This bird has a very distinctive call. In Russian, the call is rendered as udod. In Polish, it's dudek. In ancient Greek, it was epaps, and in Latin, it was upupa. And from upupa, we get its modern name in English, which is hoopoo. And in order to appreciate the etymologies, you need to see what this bird looks like. It really is quite something. So if you don't know what it looks like, press pause and Google it. H-O-O-P-O-E, and make sure you see a picture with its crown, because the later etymologies depend on how silly the bird looks. So, the hoopoo is an interesting bird, endemic to Europe, Asia, and the Middle East, and it has some distinctive behavioral features. For instance, it nests in whatever holes it can find in vertical surfaces, often in walls. Generally, hoopoos seem to have a mixed reputation. They were revered in many places. They were a sacred bird of Egypt, for example, and in iconography they could represent a child being a successor to his father. This stems from the fact that hoopoos are some of the only bird species where the young take care of their aging parents, and they're also present in medieval iconography as symbols of filial piety. In the ancient Greek comedy The Birds by Aristophanes, the hoopoo was king of all birds, and similarly, the Persian poet Attar's allegory, The Conference of the Birds, had the hoopoo as the wisest bird of all, who led the others in search of a mythical phoenix-like bird called the Simurg. But it could also be a bad omen. The hoopoo will defile its nest with a foul-smelling liquid to deter predators and parasites and to protect its young. And in part because of this vile practice, it's forbidden from being eaten in the Torah, and it's not kosher. 
Isidore of Seville linked them with evil because they can nest in unclean places or even in graveyards, and appearances can foreshadow war or death in Scandinavia. Now that you have some background with the hoopoo, let's talk about two modern English words associated with it. The Latin upupa turned into the French word oop, and it became part of a slang term used to describe someone acting foolishly. This was deup, meaning of the hoopoo. The hoopoo, owing to its ridiculous-looking crest, had gained a reputation for stupidity in the Middle Ages. The phrase deup was contracted into dupe, and today, someone who has allowed himself to be tricked or deceived can be called a dupe. The word doesn't appear in English until 1704, but it existed in French at least prior to 1630, the year of the historical Day of the Dupes. This referred to a day in November 1630, when Cardinal Richelieu, the chief minister of Louis XIII, expected to be dismissed by Louis at the request of his mother, Marie de Medici. She wasn't a fan of the cardinal's growing influence or his foreign policy during the Thirty Years' War. But Louis, to the surprise of everyone, exiled his mother and kept Cardinal Richelieu instead. Notice how, eventually, both dupe and jay come from bird names and can mean a fool. And they aren't the only words. The word gullible, too, ultimately comes from the gull, the name of a seabird. The final etymology connected to the hoopoo takes us all the way back to ancient Egypt. In ancient Egyptian hieroglyphs, some symbols represented sounds or pronunciations, while others indicated subject matter and could be added to the end of a sequence after the phonological hieroglyphs. Birds made up many of the symbols, and one of these symbols was the hoopoo. It represented the sound jeb, or maybe deb. It seems likely that jeb was a word for hoopoo, and scholars think that jeb could have meant a couple of different things. Jeb could mean one that is adorned, or one that is crowned. Or, a more tantalizing possibility is that the hoopoo could be named Jeb after the word for brick or plate, referring to its habit of nesting in walls, and sometimes sealing the entry cracks with silt to protect its chicks. This is inferred from a similarity to the word Jebet, meaning brick, which uses the hoopoo hieroglyph. This word for brick, Jebet, or maybe Debet, became the demotic Teb, which then became the Coptic Tobe, which entered Arabic as At-Tub. The Arabic At-Tub entered Spanish in the 13th century as Adobe, the same word we now use in English to refer to unburnt brick dried in the sun. Adobe comes from Egyptian, and it seems possible that the name of the bird was after the word for brick. But there's still an etymological possibility that the adobe brick originally got its name from the Egyptian name of the hoopoo. Now it's time for our Cognate Corner segment, where we consult the American Heritage Dictionary of Proto-Indo-European Roots and find some cognates of our weekly words. Cognates are the etymological equivalent of cousins. They are words which evolved separately from the same source. This week, we'll reconsider the late Latin word parochus, which eventually gave us parakeet, parochial, and parish. Parochus comes from the Proto-Indo-European root wake, which refers to a household or a clan. 
Through Latin, this root gave us English derivatives, such as villa, village, and villain. The word villain even gave us an adjective, villa nostra, which is the source of the English word nasty. Wake also gave us the word vicinity, through Latin. And through Old English, it gives us the toponym wick, like a bailiwick, and witch, like Greenwich or sandwich. Wake is also the source of the Greek word oikos, meaning house, which gives us English words such as economy, diocese, and parochial. And finally, the wick may be at the root of the word viking, though this is a longer debate. Last week I left you with the following word puzzle. There is a Greek word peripheria, the source of the English word periphery, which indirectly gave us another important mathematical term. The answer is the mathematical constant pi, which is a Greek letter, the first letter of peripheria when it is written out. Mathematicians of the 17th and 18th centuries often used the first letter of a term to abbreviate it, and the first example we have of the symbol pi being used as it is today was in 1706. Unfortunately, no one wrote in this week. But here's another puzzle for you to ponder. Speaking of birds, there's an English word that can refer to language or speech that's unintelligible, or difficult for outsiders to understand. It originally referred to the chattering of birds, but it isn't used that way anymore. And it comes from an onomatopoeia of random noise, though that might not be immediately apparent. Can you think of what it is? And if you can, write into us through the contact page of our website, and you'll get a shout out in next week's episode. Good luck. That's it for this week. If you would like more information, or if you want to access some online sources on our topic, just visit our website at www.wordjourneyspodcast.com. As always, feel free to write in with questions, comments, or suggestions for future topics. We're also now on Twitter, at Word Journeys Pod, if you want to receive the latest updates. If you've been enjoying the podcast, tell your friends about it, and please consider leaving a good rating and review for the podcast on iTunes. It would really mean a lot to hear what you have to say. The recording of the Hoopoo Calls came from YouTube user James Boyer, and I've provided a link on our website, as well as a link to J Calls. Musical selections in this episode come from the Advent Chamber Orchestra, Kevin McLeod, and Montplacier. This is Dallas Simons. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.